It's Tuesday, May 31st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. What's up, Chance? Howdy. A little bit of sun, a little bit of fun. Yeah. Back in here to do it again. Taylor and I had long weekends. You had an extra long weekend. You had a whole week. You were down in Georgia. I did. For the member guest. We'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that later in this episode. We've got uh, got a bunch of things to get to in the beverage world, in the e-commerce world. Let's start with the vehicle world. Wall Street analysts had been expecting Volkswagen's first quarter results to be, I don't want to say terrible, but certainly a significant (laughs) step down. And it turns out they weren't, Taylor. They put up nearly $4 billion in profits. That was slightly higher than a year ago. Mm -hmm. Analysts were looking for about a 17% drop in profits. And I don't know. I mean, among other things, this, this, I think, points to the durability of a massive automaker. Yeah, they tried to sweep it under the carpet, the emission scandal, and it appears like they are. I mean, they did set aside $18 billion for any lawsuits that are likely to arise, but immediate reaction from from retail buyers of automobiles is that, hey, Volkswagen is our brand, we're going to stick with it. Uh, they sold more cars than Toyota did in the last quarter, so that's pretty shocking to me, um, given that Toyota has had like a four-year run of the highest-selling automaker in the world. Um, Volkswagen, see if they can continue that for the next three quarters to maintain that for a year. But for at least a quarter now, they are the largest automobile manufacturer around the world. I think we only saw sales dip in the U.S., but we only account for around 5% of their sales. So, not the biggest deal in the world. Europe, number one. China, almost a third of their sales. Both of those were up uh, around 5 to 6%. So, things are still clicking for them, surprisingly. I was not expecting this, personally. So, they, when the emission scandal broke last fall, they initially set aside, I think it was around six or seven billion mm-hmm. f- to take care of the legal problems. They have, as you said, they have upped that to 18 yeah, billion. Yeah, because I think it just kept spreading. The more yeah, cars well, came out, it was like over 500,000 just in the US and 12 million globally are affected by that scandal. And I'm pretty sure that when we first talked about this story, and that was one of the things that we looked at, and we said, that number <laughs> is way too small. Way they too are small. absolutely going to jack up the amount of money yeah. on the legal cost front. And I'm wondering if, Jason, if we look at this quarter, and one of our takeaways is, you know what? Except for the legal costs, and I, I don't want to diminish those, but except for the legal costs, is it fair to say that they might be out of the woods? Um, at least with consumers. Yeah. Well, eesh, that's probably a bit. I, that's probably a bit soon for me to kind of feel like maybe they're out of the woods. Um, I, I do think it. Re, it's very easy when something like this happens to get really down on a company like this and just say, "Oh, you know, this is just it. They're toast." And uh, how dare they do what they did? And, and I mean, I know we all were pretty hard on them to 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 some degree. I mean, I would say that I wasn't really interested in investing in Volkswagen before this mm-hmm. crisis, and I'm not interested in investing in it now after the crisis. But with that said, I think that you cannot dismiss the scale and the success of the business leading up to this point because it has been very successful. I and mean, if you look at the stock over the past ten years, it's actually been a pretty good returner for investors. And this is this has been a very trying time for them, and there probably is. A value thesis here for those who want to take that uh, shot. 
like Taylor was talking about, a very, very well diversified business. I mean, overall, beyond the US and North America is responsible for about 15% or so of sales. Europe, very heavily mm-hmm. tied to Europe with more than half of their sales there. And I don't think consumers in Europe are much different than consumers here in that we tend to forget about these things over time, particularly if they are brands that have been around for a very long time. Volkswagen obviously has been biggest car maker in the world by sales. I mean, you can't you can't dismiss that. So we see crises like these. Uh, BP is another example of one where yeah, I mean, you could sit there and just lambaste them, but I mean, there's still a business there. And I think that Volkswagen will get through this, um, assuming that they have the right leadership in place to really make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. Because, I mean, that's just a lot of work, really, to overcome something like this. Well, I was kind of surprised because originally they promised to disclose like what they uncovered in their internal probe, and now they're now they're withholding that information um, for because the Department of Justice hasn't come out with their um, investigation yet. So. Kind of surprised that people aren't calling for that information yet, um, because they they promised it publicly. But uh, kind of just goes to the sweeping under the rug. Uh, I was surprised that it was that easy for them. Well, and I do think when you look at the legal challenge, that is maybe the biggest X factor facing Volkswagen right now. Yeah. Is what does the U.S. Justice Department come out with? What what are their findings? And then what if any ripple effect happens? In other countries, because they're not, you know, the United States is not the only country that is looking at Volkswagen and saying, "All right, we're get ready for your day in court." Mm-hmm. And I think that how bad it gets, one of the indications of how bad it gets will be the reaction from Germany and because I just think back to Joe White, who's a transportation reporter for Thomson Reuters, and I've interviewed him a couple times in the last year since this scandal broke. And one of the things that he's talked about is, essentially, don't underestimate what Volkswagen, as a business, means to the German economy, and how many jobs in Germany are to... Like, basically, the German government has no incentive whatsoever in seeing Volkswagen go down, and it has almost every incentive to make sure that this business endures. Yeah, I think that in, in our in our automobile industry, I, I would think that uh, Volkswagen is far more important to Germany than GM is to the United States. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, GM obviously was important enough to where we felt like we had to bail bail them out. Right. Um, and if GM went under, it, it would certainly have affected a, a number of people. Um, I think if Volkswagen went under, I mean that would be really that not it would be not fatal, but it would be really really uh, tough on the German economy for for an extended period of time. I think so. I mean, you pretty much it's a lock. They will not go out. They're not going to go out of business. I mean, Germany would come in there and support that business. Or the EU would because if Germany EU, goes under, then yeah, you know, I mean, Germany and yeah. the uh, those are synonymous. I yeah. mean, so um, yeah. I mean, I I, I this this is not a business that's going to be impaired or go out of business. I mean, I think the bigger challenge for Volkswagen really is. All of all of the the way that the auto market is changing now. You look at companies like Ford, for example, that really I think Alan Mulally did a wonderful job bringing that business back, cutting a lot of brands from the portfolio there that really were inconsequential to the business anyway, and just f- focusing the business on that blue oval. Right, this is our business, Ford, and I think for Volkswagen that's going to be an advantage that they can fall back on is to say this is our brand, this is what we stand for, let's reinvigorate. This brand, what we stand for, bring a new message to the table. We see it happen all the time. I mean, we saw the financial crisis, a number of different entities from insurance to 
cars and everything in between. But um, I, I just I think the greater question for Volkswagen is just the general. Like I've never really been impressed with their car to begin with. I mean, like I know that can't just be me. I just it's not really that impressive a lineup of cars, honestly. And I think that with with the way the automobile market is looking in the future, with companies like Tesla, for example, that are doing what they're doing. There's a lot of competition out there, so I mean, it, it's it's going to be a business that keeps on keeps its wheel spinning, so to speak. But but yeah, I I don't I, like I said, I don't think it was an interesting investment before this, and and I really am not interested in it after. So. Summer's here, sales of iced coffee are on the rise, and Starbucks, not surprisingly, I suppose, is looking to take advantage. Today, the company announced uh, the introduction of nitro cold brew, which if I'm Understanding this correctly, kegs of iced coffee. So it's iced coffee, but without the ice. I mean, when you say keg and coffee, <laughs> and you put that in, it's like that's that's the dream right there. I feel like we need that hookup in this studio. There was actually a vendor up in Clarendon over the weekend. They had a push cart with an umbrella, and they're out there with a keg of coffee and a tap, <sighs> just two wheel cart. Starbucks is going to be rolling this out in more than 500 locations across America: New York City, L.A., Seattle, San Francisco, Boston. Chicago, Portland, Oregon. I don't know. I mean, I, I this part of me looks at this and thinks, okay, this is a smart, not very big bet for them, yeah. and this is totally in their wheelhouse. Part of me also wonders, like, what, what took them so long? <laughs> I, well, I, I think honestly, they were testing it in their reserve fact, reserve restaurant, or roastery in yeah, Seattle. Yeah, yeah. There's a number two seller out there, and I think that's just it. I mean, you you do look at that and you think, well, man. I, what took so long? Because I can tell you, I mean that that to me is that really sounds like a good beverage. And for those of you who don't know or haven't tried, so like Boston Beer came out with a new nitro line of beers, of, you know, a few months back, where um, they have like an, a white ale, an IPA, and a coffee stout, and they're just beers in a can with a little nitro widget at the bottom. So nitrogen is a bit different than carbonation, the CO two, in that it's just it, it's a less Bubbly, bitey kind of a carbonation, a smoother, sort of creamier, sweeter carbonation. And the coffee stout that Samuel Adams makes with that is really good. And this coffee that they have hooked up with this nitro tap sounds basically just kind of like the same idea, which I have to admit, I can't wait to give that a shot. But definitely during the summer months, I think that's where Starbucks probably could have upped their game a little bit because. So many of their drinks are so bad for you, like just really <laughs> full it's of so sugar, true. and they're just so sweet and nasty. Awful. Like I never buy them because they're just you buy like a drink and it's like 500 calories, man. It's absurd. You can't do that. Um, well, I'm sorry, Starbucks shareholders, and, <laughs> and I include my girls in, in that statement there. But my point is that I think this is certainly a very, to your point, a very small bet, um, but but one that I think will pay off. I mean, I. I I have a feeling it will be a very good drink. I don't think that I think the data supports that, like you were saying. Yeah, I'm encouraged. Well, I think you also need to be encouraged by the fact that Dairy Queen of all companies came out last <laughs> week with their own version of iced coffee. So if Warren Buffett's beloved Dairy Queen is looking at iced coffee and saying we think there's an opportunity there, then there sure as hell should be one for Starbucks. Well, is it iced coffee or cold brew? Because there's two different things. With uh, the iced coffee is just hot coffee over ice, so you get that watered down flavor. Whereas Cold brew was brewed cold, stays cold, no ice necessary. I don't think Dairy Queen is going full <laughs> on into the cold yeah, yeah, brew. Yeah, but but I mean, to that point, yeah. I mean, you have a lot of those iced coffee beverages out there that are the same thing. Like, they just are gross. Yeah. It's all of this sweetener and like just ugh. And well, so, if you can get something simple, 
that is is flavored more naturally and flavored really good. I mean, golly, I think there there are a lot of possibilities there. And uh, I mean, I think uh, Howard Schultz is right. They they really capitalized on this iced tea market and. Um, Again, this is right in their wheelhouse. Beverages. They still haven't nailed the food part, and I would encourage them to <laughs> go back to the drawing table. But, uh, but yeah, I think this this is right in their wheelhouse. Yeah. Before we move on to our next story, it, is it is it too? I don't want to, I don't want to use the word failure because I don't think it is a failure. But can we now, with the hindsight benefit of hindsight of of two to three years, look at the La Belange acquisition and say, at a minimum, that didn't really work out. I don't know. I don't know. Like they, I don't see many branded items from La Boulange, so I don't know what's coming from them. I don't know if we're on the East Coast, we're just not exposed to it as much. But I can't personally offer. I think the fact that we're asking that question is that, pretty much fair. the answer. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that when I look at that today, I don't know what's different with Starbucks's food than before, yeah. other than every time I go in there and I look at what they had to eat. Everything looks like it's horrible for you, and I'm not even like a health food nut. That's the crazy thing. No, you're not. I mean, you know, well, <laughs> folks, let's be very clear. All right, <laughs> I probably have a diet coke before nine o'clock in the morning, um, but but I, yeah, I mean that's I, I feel like that they didn't they still have me on the food part right. Yeah, this is not Google buying Motorola. Like it's not that. <laughs> yeah. But this is I, I I'd be stunned if anyone could. Walk me through the numbers and and prove that this was an unmitigated success. I don't understand what the. It's not like they're branding this. It's not like they upped their game on the menu. It's just I don't. I feel like nothing changed. So from their perspective, I guess it wasn't a big bet, relatively speaking. But yeah, I don't. I don't feel like it's had any material impact on the business. It was nearly two years ago that Twitter launched ads with a corresponding buy button that enabled merchants the chance to sell their products through Twitter's platform. And last week, Twitter's management decided to shut that initiative down. JMO, what do you think? Is this is this Twitter saying, "Okay, this didn't work," or is this a or can we extrapolate from this into other social media platforms and say, you know what? Maybe social media is really good for social media and not for transacting, regardless of whether we're talking about Twitter or Snapchat or Facebook or any other social media platform. I tend to fall in line with what you just said there. I, I think that um, I think that their answer to attempting this social commerce thing was sort of in in response to maybe Facebook and Pinterest initiating moves on those same fronts. Um, I'm sure at some point down the line, in some capacity, e-commerce and social converge in some way. But I don't, I don't know how material that really is. I don't know what kind of an opportunity really exists there. Like, I, I personally have never bought anything through Twitter. I'm done on Facebook. Like, I just can't even look at it. I don't use Instagram. Don't use Pinterest. I, but my point is, I don't buy stuff from those, and I don't think many people do. I think that. If you buy something from one of those platforms, it's probably more of a unique circumstance, like a one-off where a buddy of yours says something like that. Maybe it's something tantamount to a Groupon or something like that. So, I mean, there is something there. I mean, I think a great experience I've noticed is when we took a recent trip to Charleston, and I was uh, using TripAdvisor the whole time on the phone. And I noticed they had links to Uber and to uh, the restaurant's reservation systems via OpenTable within the TripAdvisor app. 
which made that very convenient. Now, how material of an impact that has on TripAdvisor's business, I mean, the links themselves and clicking on them, it's immaterial. Right? It's all just a matter of adding more value to the actual app and making that the place where you want to be. And I think that maybe e-commerce is viewed as that type of opportunity where they say, well, maybe it's not going to have a material impact on the on the top line or the bottom line, but it keeps people in, you know, that that app, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever. You're not going there, I don't think, to buy stuff in the first place. So I don't know that it's necessarily the most important place to devote your resources. I mean, I applaud Twitter for shutting that down. That wasn't a Jack Dorsey initiative anyway. So I haven't I haven't really seen between Facebook and Pinterest and any of the other ones, I haven't seen anything really material in the way of e commerce yet. I just think it's the outer reaches of impulse buying. Yeah. And so it would take a very, very hard sell for me to even consider it. That's it, impulse buying. That's yeah. exactly right. Before we wrap up, uh, one one highlight from your weekend. Uh, Saturday's baseball game where the Cardinals beat the Nationals, followed up by the not so highlighted loss on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Dad and sister came up, so it's an annual thing. Nice, yeah, little family time. Absolutely, very nice. Uh, Jason, you were down in Georgia for the member guest tournament. I was. How do you annual. and your dad do? We did really well. You know, we we win before we ever even put a tee in the ground because I mean, the one reason why we do it is to just play golf together nice. and team up and have fun. And we've you know, I've been playing golf with my dad for forty years almost, and it's just never gets old. So for me, it's it's a win just getting down there. But I had it was really really fun whenever you go somewhere and you meet someone who listens to one of our podcasts or the radio show. And it was funny because one of the doctors at my dad's hospital or practice adjacent to the hospital had heard Motley Fool Money. He started listening to Motley Fool Money about six months ago, and he heard me call out as a stock on the radar one day, Ameris Bank Corps, which is a bank in Moultrie, Georgia, where I was, where they're based. And the bank is growing like a weed, and I had recommended the stock a while back, a few, a few years back, and called it out on the stock on the radar. And he, he heard that, thought, wow, small small town, can't believe these guys know, knows about that bank, and thought Jason Moser, last name. And he asked my dad, he's like, you know this Kid or related to him anyway, and he was like, "Well, yeah, that's my son." And so then I got to go meet uh, his name is is Dr. Gary Schwartzentruber. I don't want to mispronounce that, but he um, had a lot of good things to say nice. about not only Motley Fool Money but everything they were doing. It was really, it never gets old to hear those kinds of things. Nice. And so he, yeah, uh, uh, it was very fun to sit there and talk shop with him for a little while and uh, and meet him. And um, so yeah, I'd say that was probably a highlight. Did you beat him? I didn't play with Gary. As a matter of fact, thankfully, oh, it's not play. Okay, he looks younger and stronger than I do. So, uh, but but it was really always a pleasure. Nice. I had a very nice drive out to Central Ohio, and it's a nice reminder of just how how beautiful a drive can be when you're out in Western Maryland and West Virginia and Western Pennsylvania and all that sort Especially of thing. Especially early season, yeah. Early and also just when the weather's nice, yeah. just you come up over a. a you know, a hill of some sort, and you just see gorgeous valleys and and whatever else. So that was that was really nice. Thank you to the listeners who had su- sent various suggestions on things to do. I didn't make it all the way to Columbus. I was in Zanesville. I was actually just north of Zanesville, Ohio. So I wasn't able to hit some of the things in Columbus that people were suggesting. Can so. you tell the listeners because I know they would love your boots on the ground research there your experiences so the so that was that was the 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 investing takeaway was uh so <laughs> over the weekend and i was just i was it was like a 36 hour trip yeah and uh, between ohio and then just sort of the trip to and from ohio i had reason to stop 
in three different major retailers, Dollar General, Walmart, and Sears. <laughs> and one of those three, Taylor, not like the other. <laughs> was, was completely empty. It was completely devoid of customers. And I'm so of those three, Dollar General, Walmart, Sears. Which of those three do you think was compl- had no customers whatsoever in it? Zero. Sears. It was Sears. <laughs> and this was uh, at a. Uh, I stopped uh, at a mall in Western Maryland, and parked on one end of the mall, walked in the mall, and then where I wanted to, I was going to Chick Fil A. I was, you know what? I had a hankering for a milkshake. I was like, "There's got to be." A you Chick-fil-A. never have to defend a Chick Fil A. Speaking I, of eating, never have to. Yeah, speaking of drinks that have 500 calories, I was like, "I want a milkshake." I found a Chick Fil A. It was at the other end of the mall, so I walk all the way through the mall, and then I thought, "Okay, I'm going to walk outside." And I come outside, and there's a Sears. So the mall is shaped like a T, and the and the and the Sears is sort of the the non top of the T. Uh, anyway, so I think to myself, <laughs> not in more ways than one. Yeah. So I think to myself, well, my car is on the other side of Sears. I could walk around it. I could go back in the mall. No, I'm just going to walk down this sidewalk. I'm going to walk through all the way through Sears. So I saw every square foot of this Sears. This wasn't like oh, I was in this one department and there was no one there. No, I saw the entire Sears. And this was Saturday Memorial Day weekend. Presumably they had sales going on. Mm. And there was nothing but employees in there. And when I got out to my car on the other side, there was a Walmart with a very full parking lot, eating Sears's lunch. Oh my goodness! It was yeah. just, it, and it was just one of those where I thought, my gosh, how in the world is this business still standing? I don't. Yeah, I feel like its days are numbered. Unfortunately, I mean, it's amazing to think about how that's a brand that that certainly, certainly we grew up with, and. Um, Man, yeah, it's been completely disrupted. And yet, I feel like we've been saying that for at least three years. Like, yeah. well, this is the year that I think Sears goes <laughs> under, and somehow they hang on. They and keep survive. parsing out stores and selling some real estate. They do, but... and I, yeah, it, I think it all boils down to that. It's like Lampert has done a good job, I think, of sort of keeping this ball rolling, even if it's just as slowly as it's going, because there's the real estate dynamic. He's buying back shares. I mean, there was a time where a lot of people called him out as just this wonderful capital allocator and, and investor. I, I think we have to at least question that, given the status of the business today. But I mean, that's tough. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of people out there. I'm sure that depend on Sears, and, and probably not the place you want to be right now. Thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.